created in the image of the Creator, a promise, a masterpiece, a life. On January 22, 1973, a decision was made in our nation to legalize abortion at any stage for any reason. 49 years later, that decision was finally reversed. 49 years of prayer and perseverance. 49 years of being a voice for the unborn, proclaiming their humanity and their possibility. 49 years of striving to reach their moms and dads, proclaiming there's hope and a future. 49 years of waiting for life to be upheld in our nation. And here we are. This January is the first post-Roe in our nation. Roe versus Wade, as we know it, is no longer. As we grieve that loss of over 60 million lives and the devastating cost to their moms and dads, we give thanks for the lives that will be saved and protected from this date forward. Because of this decision, already thousands of moms have chosen life. The lives of thousands of children have been saved. They will celebrate a first birthday. They will experience their first day of kindergarten, their first best friend, their first home run, their first dance, their high school graduation, and so many things beyond. We celebrate this victory, and yet know there is much more to be done. There are still unexpected pregnancies. It is still a crisis. They still need hope and help. Our services are needed now more than ever. You can make a difference for life. You can pray. You can give. You can serve. Will you? Let's pray together. God, we thank you today that you are a God of compassion, love, mercy, and healing. Lord, we grieve today over the many children that have been lost. We rejoice in answers to prayer and the progress that is being made. We also know that there are many today in this room watching online who have been a part of this sin of abortion. And we ask you today, in Jesus' name, to bring healing, to bring repentance, to bring care, love, compassion, and most of all, the blood of Jesus. Thank you, God, that no sin is more powerful than your mercy. No sin is more powerful than the cross and the blood of Jesus. We thank you for many uh, in this church who've been healed, who've experienced your grace and mercy, and we pray for anybody today that needs that still. Whether man, woman, doctor, nurse, anybody that's been involved, we pray that uh, there would be true, open admission of what has offended your heart, but also that you would grant repentance and grant that mercy and grace that it would flow and that those who've been forgiven much would love much and be vessels of healing to others. God, would you make this church a healing place? Would you make this church a place full of people that are loving and compassionate and can bring the truth to bear on not only this sin, but any sin? And so we thank you that there's always hope because of your grace and mercy in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, children, ages of... Three and up through fifth grade, wish to go to Children's Church. You're dismissed out that exit with Miss Kathy and her wonderful team. Thanks for all who serve here in our children's ministry. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Jude. We are finally returning to our expository study of this incredible book. 
We've been away from it for over a month. Today uh, is a challenging passage. I've had to spend extra time in preparation. It's a day in which I want you to have your Bibles on your lap, finger on the text, because we're literally going to march through this verse by verse, phrase by phrase. I I think I know how far we're going to get, but we may not get that far, and that's what I love about preaching through books of the Bible, is if we don't get as far as I thought, then we'll just pick pick up where we left off next week. And so that's very convenient. But we've kind of had a break due to Christmas, due to Brian Cluth coming, due to me being gone in Nicaragua. But I'm excited today to return to the book of Jude. And where we left off was verse 8. We have covered up till verse 8. We have seen that this book is about encouraging the church that there's these false teachers who've been corrupting the, the, the doctrine of the gospel, who've been using grace as a license to sin, who have been perverting the gospel, and who've been claiming that they have supreme authority even over Paul and the other apostles. And so Jude, who's the half-brother of Jesus, is writing, encouraging these believers, God's going to deal with these people. They will stand accountable to Him, and he encourages them to contend for the faith once and for all delivered to them. And if ever there's a book that's relevant for our day and age, hello, hello, hello. Uh, there are false teachers today. Uh, there are wolves in sheep's clothing. There are many of churches today and others that are going the way of the world instead of the way of God's Word. They're compromising truth. They're believing the trends of our culture instead of standing on the Word of God. There is sexual immorality and all kinds of stuff that was happening then that nothing's new under the sun. It's happening today as well. And so very relevant book, very relevant study. And I'm going to do the old Chuck Smith method today from Calvary Chapel where you just go, you just share a verse and talk about it. And go to the next verse. So there's really no outline today. There's one question, does God judge? The answer is yes, praise God. A good father always judges. A good father always disciplines. A good father always says, look, there's standards. If you violate them, there's consequences. Uh, he wouldn't be loving if he wasn't judging. Hello. His, all of his attributes go together. Uh, God is a God of, of, of incredible nature, incredible attributes. I'm thankful for every one of them. And today we focus on does God judge, and you'll see that repeated as I read this passage. Let's stand together. And by the way, the companion chapter to this section is 2 Peter 2. Take 2 Peter 2 on your own, compare it to these verses, and you'll see a lot of parallels. So Jude, beginning at verse 8, I'm reading out of the ESV. Yet in like manner, these people also relying on their own dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are all destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them! For they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's era, perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reeves at your love feast, as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. 
It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud-mouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you... Hallelujah. Love the butts in the Bible. But you, he just described these false prophets and all the things that they're doing and the consequences that are going to come. But you, church, but you, Christian, but you, follower of Jesus, must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. They're not even saved. Devoid of the Spirit. These false prophets were not even saved. But you, beloved, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. God, would you anoint your word now? Help me to speak truth and love in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right, a lot going on here. <laughs> He's quoting from two passages that are not even in the Bible. That's an issue. Uh, there's, a, there's this heavy topic of judgment. He is very bold to pronounce that these guys are in deep, deep trouble. And so here's the central message. If you get nothing else, get this. God's going to judge these false prophets. Christian, be assured, rest assured, God's going to judge these people. He's going to deal with them. They have some serious things to deal with before the Lord. And don't forget, we will face judgment also. Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed unto man to die once, and after this, the judgment. 2 Corinthians 5 and 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So how will you fare? How will you fare when you stand before the Lord? It's a good time, again, to remind us about God's, the nature, the diagram of God's nature that I use, and more using more and more here. It's going to be in my new book, Grow Up. And we see that God is sovereign, He's glorious, He's Trinitarian, all those things that are the overarching. And then really all of His other attributes can fall under two categories, His holiness and His love. He's holy and He's loving. And under holiness comes what we discover today, his judgment, his justice that comes to bear on sin. If he did not judge sin, he would fail to be holy. But praise God, he's loving also, and he puts his ultimate judgment for us on his son, Jesus. All of his attributes most fully are seen at the cross of Jesus. All right. Praise God that the good news today is that he expressed his love in putting your judgment and mine on his own son, Jesus Jesus bore the wrath of God for us. That is good news, my friend. Amen? All right, so now, verse by verse, let's start with verse 8. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, blaspheme the glorious ones. In like manner refers back to what we learned about a month ago from verses 5 to 7. Remember, he talked about God judging the Egyptians, God judging the angels who had sex with the women in Genesis 6, and created the Nephilim, God judging Sodom and Gomorrah. We had a whole message on homosexuality. So in like manner means just as he judged the Egyptians, the angels, and Sodom and Gomorrah, he's going to judge these guys. He's going to judge these false prophets, these false teachers. These people relying on their dreams. In 2 Peter 2, the companion passage, it says make up stories. So they would make up stories. They would claim that they had these dreams of God in order to build their own, their own kind of 
kind of status and appear to be super spiritual. Hey, we've had these dreams. We've had these experiences of God. Beloved, this is why, very important, subjective experience always comes under the objective word of God. Anybody who claims a subjective experience, you don't just take that hook, line, and sinker. You say, does it line up with God's word? And if it, if it doesn't, then you can be assured that dream or that experience wasn't from God. The Bible says that in the latter day, Satan and the Antichrist will perform false signs and wonders, so is it possible to mislead even the elect? So we don't exalt signs and wonders. Do we believe in signs and wonders? Absolutely. We believe in all the gifts of the Holy Spirit here and healings and miracles and demonic deliverance and tongues and prophecy. We believe in all of that when it's exercised biblically and properly. These guys were claiming dreams that weren't of God. It says they defile the flesh. Now that goes back to what we learned earlier in verse 4. They were using the grace of God as license to sin. Oh, we can commit sexual immorality because God will just forgive us. You ever known somebody to do that? That's what they were doing. They were sexually immoral. These false teachers didn't even have the character that, 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 that was equal to the message they were proclaiming. It says they reject authority. What they were doing here is they were claiming equal or superior authority to Paul and to the apostles. So they were lifting themselves up into a position of authority to get a following, to create a liking so that everybody would follow them instead of the true apostles and Paul who were preaching the word of God. This is why, beloved, here at Living Hope, I am, under, I am in authority, but I'm under authority. No one in authority should ever not be under authority. I am one of the elders here. And if the elders believe that we're headed in a direction that's not of God, I will submit to that or I will resign. And so I'm not the ultimate authority here. No senior pastor should have ultimate authority in a church. Paul said to Timothy, appoint elders, plural, in every town. There should always be a plurality of leadership so there's self-accountability, self-checks, and all the rest. Then it says they blaspheme the glorious ones. The NIV says slander celestial beings. Interesting. What's going on here? Well, they basically were taking a position of such authority that they made light of the angelic realm, angels and demons. They kind of were flippant about the realm of angels and demons. That's dangerous. That's dangerous to do. We must have a proper understanding of angels and demons and a proper respect even for demons. And, and you're going to see this in a minute, you never put yourself directly at demons. You always put the Lord between you and demons. Come on. Because you, in and of yourself, are not more powerful than demons. I remember when I was taking a class on demonic deliverance in seminary, and I got to sit in on a bunch of deliverance sessions that my professor, Dr. Tim Warner, who went on staff with Neil Anderson and did all of his international ministry after leaving Trinity. And so I got to sit in on a bunch of these deliverance sessions, I actually heard demons speak through people, saw him cast them out. And I'll never forget one in which the demon spoke through this woman who was demonized and said, we're more powerful than you. And Dr. Tim Warner said, yeah, you are, but you're not more powerful than Jesus. The Lord rebuke you, be gone. Whoa. I mean, talk about a lesson from an experience. Yes, he is more powerful than we are. Remember the Acts, seven sons of Sceva? They, they tried to do deliverance in the name of Paul. In the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. They said, Jesus we know, and Paul we know, who are you? And they stripped them naked and they took off running. That's what happens if you try to deal with the demons on your own and it's not under the authority and victory of Jesus Christ. Always put Jesus between you and the enemy and you'll have victory. 
So they were blaspheming the glorious ones. And so then in verse 9, he quotes from something that is not in the Bible. Oh my goodness. That puts the integrity of the Bible in question. He's quoting from a source called the Testament of Moses. Should that be in the Bible? Does this in any way infringe upon the canon of Scripture? No. Listen, I quote from people all the time that are not in the Bible, right? I quote from Chuck Swindoll. That doesn't mean I'm putting Swindoll on the level of Paul in the book of Ephesians. Truth is truth regardless of the source. <laughs> this in no way threatens the canonicity of Scripture. It in no way says the apo- these apocryphal books should have been in the Bible. Not at all. Because Paul quotes the poets on Mars Hill. And so it's not uncommon for New Testament authors to quote sources that are not in the Bible. And again, that doesn't put in any question the Bible itself or elevate these other sources. So in this case, verse 9, but when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blaspheming judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. So what he's doing is he's quoting an incident that occurred to show that these guys were taking the angels into the demonic realm way too lightly, way too flippantly, exalting themselves up in this position. And, and he says, look, even the archangel Michael, hello, can't get any higher in the angelic realm than Michael, right? And so Michael, and this is kind of a cool thing. I mean, again, it's not in the Old Testament, but he's quoting it as, if, as truth, so I'm going to believe it, that there must have been this dispute when Moses died. Hey, by the way, I did a little research on Moses' death. If you want to look up on your own, Deuteronomy 34, 5 and 6. Did you ever know this? The the Lord buried Moses. God buried Moses. Let's look at that. I I, I can see some faces here. Let's, Let's look at that. Don't take my word for it. Be like the Bereans. Examine everything carefully to see if it's of God. Deuteronomy 34. This is cool. God himself buried Moses. Verse 5. 34, 5, Deuteronomy. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord, and he, the Lord, buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows the place of the burial to this day. So God buried Moses, didn't tell everybody where he buried him, probably because if he did, everybody would go there and worship that spot and make a big you know, idol of it. And so God buried Moses. Therefore, in this incident where evidently the archangel Michael is disputing with the devil over the body of Moses. You say, what's going on there? Well, remember Moses committed a big sin called murder? Remember he killed the Egyptian because they were treating the Israelites harshly? Moses, I kind of like Moses, man. He's kind of a man's man, you know? He's, he gets fired up. And like, yeah, you don't mess with God's people. <clears throat> now, he shouldn't have killed the guy, okay? But, but I kind of like that he had some, never mind, I won't say the word, but guys, you know what I'm talking about. I, I like a guy with, mm, you know, he's like fired up and, he, and he's defending God. And yeah, he got carried away in the flesh. And so probably Satan said, look, he committed murder, he's mine. And the archangel said, no, he isn't. Because God's a God of mercy, grace, and forgiveness, hallelujah. And God's going to win this one. The Lord rebuke you. Boom! Dealt with. So the archangel even didn't presume to just say, I rebuke you. Listen, if you ever say, I rebuke you, Satan, you're in trouble. You say, in the name of Jesus, in the name, through the blood, through the cross of Jesus, I command every demon to be gone. That's how you deal with it. Because James 4, 7, submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee. So this doesn't mean you can't resist the devil if you're a believer, but you do it in the name, in the authority, and in the victory of Jesus Christ. Never 
on your own. So that's what's going on here. Man, I, you know, I've talked to you guys about how I believe in heaven there's going to be these rooms you can go in and you can relive any experience or you can relive any biblical event or you can ask questions. I mean, we're going to just be on this masterful journey for all of eternity. Well, here's another one. Here's a room I want to go into. Hey, Lord, I want to go into that Archangel Michael and, and Satan room. I want to see this one firsthand. And man, you walk in and all of a sudden they're disputing over the body of Moses. Boom! And you see the archangel say, the Lord rebuke you. The demons just, ah! They take off. I love it. Can't wait to see, get to relive that. It's like, got your little remote. Hey, I want to see the crossing of the Red Sea. Boom! I want to see the walking on the water. Kind of cool. I think there'll be something like that. So, this just shows how we need, listen, have a proper respect, even for the demonic realm. You don't treat this lightly but at the same time you're not intimidated you don't back away you stand in the victory and the identity you have in jesus and the in the fact that he won the the victory and gives you authority hallelujah verse 11 woe to them for they walked in the way of cain so now he brings up three incidences they walked in the way of cain they abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to balaam's era perished in Korah's rebellion. By the way, I think I mentioned this a few, about a month ago. There's all these threes in, in Jude. Go through it. I've counted, I think, nine or ten. A bunch of groupings of three, even grace, mercy, and peace be with you at the very beginning. And so there, he, he shares a lot of things in groupings of three. And here's another one. You've got woe to them. Remember, Jesus said that a lot of the Pharisees. Woe to them. That's like a pronouncement of serious, you're in trouble. <laughs> you better shape up. Dude, what are you doing? That could be a contemporary translation of woe to them. So here's the three eras. The way of Cain. Well, what did Cain do? He murdered his brother. These false prophets are murdering people spiritually by their false teaching. Balaam's era. That was compromising truth for the sake of financial gain. This is made more specific in 2 Peter 2. He specifically mentions that these false teachers were after financial gain. This is recorded in Numbers 22. I think the health and wealth gospel of today is an example of this. Korah's rebellion, well, that's in number 16. It's when Korah led a rebellion of 250 people against the authority of Moses and Aaron. So they lifted themselves up above the, the authority of Moses and Aaron. They were saying, hey, why are you listening to these guys? Come on, follow me. That's exactly what the false teachers were doing. So there was murder through false teaching. There was compromising truth for financial gain. And there was exalting themselves in a position of authority that they did not deserve or have from God. All right, and verse 12. Now it gets cool. A lot of um, imagery here uh, describing these false teachers. They are hidden reeves at your love feast as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead uprooted. What's going on here? Well, first of all, hidden reeves. Reeves were below the surface, so a ship or a vessel in that day would hit those things unexpectedly. They didn't see them at the surface. They were below the surface. Uh, and, and so kind of like the Titanic, you know, you had the tip of the iceberg, but all this other stuff under there that sunk the ship. And so these guys, you don't see the false teachings at the surface level unless you're really discerning, but they're causing serious damage. And they're in close waters. They're actually among you, which he says next, at your love feast, feasting with you without fear. They're in there with, at your, what was the love feast? That was the dinner. They had a dinner usually. As they came to worship, they would have an actual meal. 
Then they would worship and have communion together. These were the love feasts. That was like what we want happening in our home groups. And so they're in, they're in your midst. Guys, this is serious stuff. This is, this is like sobering. These false prophets were wolves that were in sheep's clothing. You know, it's interesting, is it not, that false teachers, false preachers, they don't go after the lost. Hello. They're not out there like rich preaching in downtown Athens. They're trying to infiltrate and do damage in the church. They try to steal sheep. They try to steal following. They always come within the body. They don't usually go out and try to win lost people to Christ. That's what was happening here. Jesus warned this in Matthew 7. Again, he says, there are we sheep and in wolves in sheep's clothing. Folks, this is why as a church, as a people, we must be discerning. We must be prayerful. We must be rock solid in the word and doctrine. You need to be in a church that has solid doctrine. Doctrine matters. Contend for the faith once and for all delivered to you. If this church fails to preach the word of God, may it go downhill quickly, lest it mislead people. Those of you watching online, I'm glad you're with us today. You need to be in a local church. Now, if you have physical issues that keep you from it, that's okay. There's a lot of grace for that. But there's still people who have not yet returned from COVID. They need to get their you-know-whats in church. Quit playing pajama Christianity. Hello. Some of you are playing pajama Christianity. You've gotten comfortable in your little pajamas, drinking your coffee on Sundays and watching all these preachers. Hey, when you have a need, see if that TV preacher comes and visits you. Come on. You need to be in church. You need to be connected to a local body where there's encouragement, accountability, support. I was going to give you this quote yesterday, Mark, as it relates to your meeting today. You can use it with the guys today, the new Ironman groups. A man who doesn't meet with other men for support, accountability, and encouragement is an accident waiting to happen. That's not just men. That's all of us. A person, a believer who doesn't meet with others for encouragement, accountability, support is an accident waiting to happen. God never intended us to be isolated and, and, and not connected to the body. That's why he says when you get saved, you're an arm, you're a leg, you're an ear. Well, that's connected to the body. You cut that arm off, what's going to happen? It's going to die. We are intended to be connected, interconnected with one another. Then he says shepherds feeding themselves. So this shows that they were out for personal gain, whether it was power, control, or money. They're not real shepherds. Real shepherds feed the flock, preach the word, love the people, pray for the body, seek God's direction. But, but these guys, they were just feeding themselves. It was all about them and their ego. He says, you're waterless clouds. What's going on there? Well, man, again, it's an agricultural economy he's writing to. These people relied on the rain for their crops. They plant and they wait for rain. So you got a cloud coming. Yes, rain's coming. Hallelujah. We're going to have a crop. And then it just goes away. This cloud that promised rain doesn't give you what you had wanted from it. That's what these false teachers were doing. They came pretending to give you rain, the water of God, the living water of Jesus. But they are waterless clouds. So they, big talk, no do. Same way, he says, fruitless trees in late autumn. Well, that's when the trees should produce fruit. And you got this tree, it promises, it buds, it like, and then no fruit. So you're disappointed. You're let down. It doesn't do what it's supposed to do. Remember Jesus said you can tell a tree by its fruit. So that makes us all ask ourselves, what kind, of, what kind of fruit is my life producing? What kind of fruit is our church producing? What kind of people are coming from living hope? 
And then it says, twice dead uprooted. Well, they were dead spiritually, because we know in verse 19 they didn't have the Spirit, so they were unsaved, but they're also dead in the fact that they're hurting others. So they were dead in their own not having Jesus and not being saved, and then they, they're dead also because they're producing death in others. Again, the sin of Cain, murdering people spiritually. But be assured, again, they're going to be uprooted. God's going to judge them. God's going to judge them. So he says, twice dead, uprooted. He's going to uproot them. Now, I wish he uprooted these people sooner. Don't you too? <laughs> Don't you wish that evil and sin got uprooted quicker? And this is where it requires patience on our part. But be assured, God will uproot them. Then he says in verse 13, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam, foam of their own shame. So you got this sea, it's got this water coming up, and you expect nice clean water, right? You go to the beach, but then you get this foamy water, and that nasty smell from pollution. That's what causes this foam. You ever been to a place where, you, man, you had this vacation planned? Man, we're going to go to this beautiful beach, we're going to have this awesome, and then all of a sudden it's nasty. All these plastics are washing up, and there's foam, it's nasty, it smells rotten, that's kind of what's happening here. And then it says, wandering stars. Have you ever been, had the privilege of being out where there's not a lot of lights and you just see these beautiful stars? You're enjoying that? I've gotten to see northern lights in, up, in the upper P of, of Michigan, upper peninsula. It's beautiful, like God giving us a fireworks show. But if they just wander off, then you don't get the light that they're supposed to produce. So that's happening here. They're these stars that just wander off, not producing what you would expect them to. For whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Whoa, that's heavy. Ever, have you ever been in utter darkness? Have you ever experienced absolute utter darkness? I, I visited Alcatraz. You get a tour of Alcatraz near San Francisco, the old prison. And they put you in solitary confinement, shut the door for about 30 seconds, and you feel like it's 30 hours. Total darkness. Can't even see your hand in front of your face. That's hell. That's hell. Absolute separation from God, and God is light. No, no hope, no, no life, no love, no joy, no peace. Beloved, judgment's a real thing. Hell is a real thing. Jesus talked about hell a lot because he didn't want you to go there. Choice is yours. If you say, I don't want God in my life, then hell is God giving you for eternity what you said you wanted by the way you lived on earth. You lived on earth not wanting God. You didn't want His standards. You didn't want His authority in your life. So He's simply assigning for all of eternity that which you said you wanted by how you lived on earth. Life without God. How's that working for you? God is love, God is light, God is hope, God is joy, God is holy. All of his attributes, he wants you to experience. It's for your good, beloved. It's for your good. But it says here they will, they're going to experience utter darkness and it's been reserved forever. This is their assignment. This is their judgment. Wow. Verse 14. It was also about these, the false teachers, that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, so again, here he's quoting from a source. It doesn't put the canon of Scripture in any way in jeopardy. There is a book called Enoch, okay? Origin quoted from it. 
at times. Enoch, I, I read it this week. Enoch chapter 1 verse 9 is exactly what he quotes here. Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment. Next slide. On all, now notice the repetition of all here, on all and to convict all. So now, listen, listen, listen. He's extending this judgment upon the false teachers to everyone. He's saying, look, lest you just point your finger at the false teachers and say, ah, good, they're getting their due. Look within yourself. Examine yourself to see if you're of the faith, Corinthians says. So now he's saying it's on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way. And for all the heart, boy, this, this phrase hit me just this morning. All the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him, God. How many times you hear people take the name of the Lord in vain? Oh, GD this. Oh, JC this. It's exactly what it says. All the harsh things that ungodly sinners speak against God. How it must grieve the heart of God what is said of his name in so many places throughout the world today. May he hear from this place, may he hear from our lips nothing but praise and thanks and love and adoration. Jude quotes from this book, Enoch, to again reinforce what is said in so many other places, and that is that God will judge all, all. So does God judge? Yes. The answer to our question, yes, he does. Be assured God will judge those false teachers, but he will also examine my life. Where do I stand? Where do you stand today? Are you saved? Are you saved but drifted? Has your ship drifted? And the Bible talks about many will shipwreck their faith. Is there known sin in your life that you have not repented of and that you refuse to yield to Jesus? The good news today, beloved, is that Jesus died for all sin. And we see in Romans 5, 8, and 9 not only His love but His justice. Look at Romans 8 verses, or 5, verses 8 and 9. We quote the first part. We often don't quote the second part. God shows his love for us. Okay, remember my diagram. Love on one side, holiness on the other. His love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, hallelujah, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Love and wrath in two verses. Because love is not love without wrath, and wrath is not wrath without love in God's economy. And then the most known verse in all the Bible, and yet we don't quote the rest, John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And then look at the rest. This is good. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him, verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. So if they don't allow Christ to take judgment for them, then they will face judgment for themselves because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Then verse 19, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than their light because their deeds were evil. Do not we see that today, folks? So again, our diagram, it all comes together at the cross. So today, watch this closely. Those of you working the camera, zoom in, please. 
Here I am. Here I am. This is my life before God. And there's all kinds of offenses against God. And so what happens? I stand guilty. I'm declared guilty before God. Deserving of judgment, deserving of wrath, deserving of separation. Things I have done, things I have left undone. Thought, word, and deed. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. I deserve death. I'm guilty before God. But Colossians 2 says that he takes our record of offenses. He takes our record of offenses and it says he nails it to the cross. Christ bore my judgment. Christ bore your judgment. This is the good news of the gospel. I can either allow Jesus to bear my judgment or I can say, no thanks, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm willing to face God myself. And if that be you, you will be separated from God for all of eternity. The good news is Christ bore your sin and your guilt so you could be free, you could be forgiven, you could be reconciled, and not face judgment for your sin. That's good news, folks. Why would you not receive that? Then, as we kind of prepare you for next week, verse 16, these are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires, their loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. So they had these people that they got to their, you know, on their side so they could lift themselves up. And then I love verse 17, and this is going to prepare us for next week. But you must remember, beloved. But you are to be different. You're to remember the word of God. The predictions of the apostle. They said to you in the last times there'll be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, verse 20. But you, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. And that's going to be the focus of next week's message. How do you build yourselves up in your most holy faith? So in other words, listen, as we close, these people follow their own way, but you are to follow God's way. They live sexually immoral lives, but you are to live holy lives. They do what they think is right and make themselves the authority, but you yield to the authority of Jesus and follow his way. They believe in the world and its trends and its ways, but you stand firm on God's word, because that never changes. They will come under God's eternal judgment, but you are trusting in Christ and will not face his judgment and can live free and forgiven and holy for the glory of Christ. Amen? Oh, Father, we love you and we praise you today for your word. God, we thank you today that your word is everlasting, your word is true, your word is clear. Your word at times may seem a little heavy or harsh to us, but when we properly understand it, when we properly see it through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, then it all comes into focus. The blurriness gets clarity. So thank you, Lord. God, I pray by the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit today, you will help us apply this properly. I pray now for anybody here that is uncertain of their eternal destiny, 
Oh God, today, I pray with all my heart that you will grant them repentance and faith to receive you, to surrender to you, to yield to you, to allow you to be the Lord and Savior of their life. Beloved, don't put off for one minute. Don't put off for one minute what you know you need to do. Listen, just a half a mile from this very location, last week, last Sunday morning, 2 a.m., UGA football player and a recruiter traveling on Barnett Shoals, going to Waffle House, car spins out of control, two people dead. They didn't think when they were at the parade earlier that day that this would be their last day on earth. We do not know. Every day is a gift. I'm not saying this to scare you. I'm not saying this to pressure you. I'm saying this because it's true. I speak to you the truth in love. Today could be your last day on earth. Are you ready to meet your maker? Are you trusting in Christ alone for your salvation, for your forgiveness? Are you allowing Jesus to take your judgment? Or are you so arrogant and prideful that you think you can face judgment without Jesus? The Bible says he gives grace to the humble. He opposes the proud. We humble ourselves before him. He loves to pour out his grace, just like any good father does when their child says, Daddy, Daddy, I've done wrong. Daddy, I blew it. Daddy, I need forgiveness. Man, you pour out grace, don't you? When a kid does that, I do. You being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more does your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? <laughs> call upon the name of the Lord. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're a believer and you know you've drifted, return today. What did God do to the prodigal who came back? He ran to meet him. He ran to show him grace. One step toward God gets God running toward you. Let's quietly stand, and I want our prayer team to take your spots, please, along the side, near the edge of the stage. And go now. Come now if you need prayer, whether it's for salvation whether it's because there's something in your life that you need somebody to pray with you about. It could be for physical healing. It could be because you're burdened about somebody in your family or a loved one. It may not even be about you. You may be in a great place. But you just want somebody to pray with you about somebody that you're burdened for. Jesus said, my house shall be a house of prayer. It's a crucial time right now. Don't hesitate. Maybe... You need to pray with somebody that you're sitting next to or that's across the room. You don't have to go to somebody on the prayer team. It may be you see somebody and you go, I want to pray with them. Just go right now. Just go right now. Begin to pray together. Cry out to God. 
Don't leave with any business unfinished. Anything between you and the Lord it needs dealt with. Press in and deal with that now and right here. Holy Spirit, come. Welcome you to move in this time. Praise you, God. Bless you. Lord, let there be a spirit of freedom, spirit of transparency. Let not pride keep us from getting help where we need it. Thank you, Lord, for your great mercy, your great love. Praise you. Bless you, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit.